Hello, Damon. Hello, Jeremy. How are you today? I'm doing excellent. Sitting in my office window, the sun shining. Life is good. Excellent. The sun just disappeared for me behind a cloud. It might not come back till May, <laughs> but I did get to do something that I always think is pretty cool, which is cross-country ski around the block. Wow. You put skis on already. I love that. Oh, yeah. This isn't the first time. <laughs> this, this isn't even the first time this week, A, but it's also not the first week <laughs> this month. This is just the third time after Halloween. There you go. I'm trying to think of the ski equivalent to No White After Labor Day, but <laughs> all the metaphors. I wanted to talk to you today about what comes after the day. <laughs> hmm. I wanted to talk to you about sleep. Mm. And actually the opposite, being up in the night, having trouble getting to sleep, especially going back to sleep after you wake up with a jolt. Has this mm. ever happened to you, my friend? Yes, absolutely it has. And does it ever happen to your clients? Has anyone ever come to you with this issue, whether executive, athlete, or in between? Yeah, I'd say it's in the top five. Yeah. When you look at the top ranked podcasts in our category, which I don't even know what it is, but somehow I get an email from someone that's mm -hmm. customized spam. <laughs> I think the top 11 out of 10 are help you go to sleep by listening to me read a boring story <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> so we're, we're number 12 out of 10. <laughs> Well, hopefully we're not putting people to sleep quite yet. Well, we should. That's yeah. it's clearly that's that's the edge we're missing. We're mm. we're the number one that doesn't put you to sleep. <laughs> what is your understanding of what's happening? And you could tell me physiologically, scientifically, or you could just say experientially. When we are unable to sleep, what's happening? Yeah, when we're up in the night. Well, I'll start with my own experience and work my way out from there. Usually it stems from either eating too late, caffeine too late in the day. Caffeine stays in your system for like 12 hours, by the way. Or having not gotten enough exercise and or feeling like my mind is so busy. There's so many things that I need to do. So a lot of mind racing going on then. And then... The worst is when you need to get up early in the morning and it matters a lot that you get a good night's sleep and that sense of pressure. Those are some of the typical ones that when they happen, I'm in trouble being able to try to get to sleep. So you started with the blame game. You were talking about the reasons and that's fine. And I don't know if I share all of those reasons, but certainly when you got to the last couple, I started to have some dings. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is just in the moment when I'm up, my mind is racing and I'm also anxious because I want what sleep will give me. <laughs> so it's like I'm being taken away on this bullet train away from the destination, which is being awake the next morning, well-rested. And I sort of seem at the mercy of the thoughts that are taking over. And I'll, I'll add to your list, <laughs> mm -hmm. the listeners can add their own later, which is, I also would say I have retrospective issues. 
I also I'm like, oh, I screwed that thing up or the thing I thought went fine. Now I've woken up at 2 a.m. I realize all the ways that I was a terrible boor or I didn't do the nice job that I had the satisfaction at the end of the day. I can see now all the problems I probably had or there was a typo in that email mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's not only forward dread, it's backward looking as well as a mm -hmm. problem. But I have to say that I've had pretty good success taming this beast in a number of ways. And over the past year, at least, I have come to a, a lot less frequency of being up in the night, even as I hear from other people that it's happening more. Mm -hmm. And I have a different understanding of it as well. And I guess I wanted to share some of my process, but also, of course, hear, hear yours and what you advise for others. Mm, sounds good. Okay. So for me, step one of my new practice and understanding is acceptance. And that just means I am awake and I want to be okay with being awake, which is quite contrary to the frustration and anxiety that I had previously and that you expressed, and I'm sure so many of us could. Mm -hmm. Can I be okay with the situation as it is? And I came to this through this Buddhist concept that I first encountered in the book Radical Acceptance, appropriately, mm -hmm. by Tara Brack. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea of second arrow. Second arrow is... The idea that we have some problem, some injury, some point of pain. And that is the first arrow. Mm -hmm. And the second arrow is being frustrated and upset about being in whatever situation we're in. That's the second arrow. And the Buddha's teaching, if I'm remembering, the understandings that have been shared with me are whatever that point where you get hit with that first arrow, that's a, a point of pain. But if you have a second arrow in the same point, it's going to hurt 10 times worse. Mm. And you have inflicted the second arrow mm. in this metaphor by being frustrated, by being upset, by not wanting to be in whatever situation you're in, that's the second arrow. And acceptance is the guard against the second arrow. I'm up. Okay. First arrow. But it's actually that frustration with being up that is so much more painful even than, than being up and extenuates and exacerbates the insomnia and the attendant frustration, anxiety, and, and the dealing with it. So I can immediately, by saying I'm up and that's okay, I'm awake and that's okay, I can cut the problem down to 10% of the size it'll be if I add the frustration, if I add the second arrow. That makes perfect sense to me. And what's going on inside of us when we add the second arrow is that oftentimes we're tripping the fight flight mechanism inside of us. And not only does that include cortisol, which seeps through our system, but it also throws in a bunch of adrenaline. And we know Obviously, adrenaline is not necessarily something that's conducive to rest, relaxation, and sleep. So that second arrow 
not only is it hurt 10 times more, it's like 10 cups of coffee as well while we're grappling with why it is that we have insomnia. So that second arrow ends up being much more potent in this particular context because of the fact that we are inducing the, the, the chemical composition in our bodies is changing and it's adding all of that adrenaline, that upper up regulation. And that's just obviously not the state that we want to be in to be able to get to sleep. So that makes perfect sense to me to play off of your Tara Brock example with a second arrow. I'll throw in there a Jack Cornfield take on sleep, who is also a Buddhist teacher. He and Tara Brock teach a, teach a course together, actually. And his method when he wakes up is takes that acceptance one step further and he sits up and just meditates. And he asks the open-ended question, why am I speaking to his own mind? Why is it that you feel you need my attention right now? And he sits up and meditates and he, it's not a productive meditation. It's an attention. So we'll, I'll add that next, the next rung from acceptance is attention. And the attention in this case is on the very thing that seemingly is the thorn in our side or the arrow. And, and he allows himself to just sit with it. And he says 95% of the time, he ends up becoming bored, that there's not a whole lot there and gets tired. And then he just lays back down and he goes to sleep. So it's this acceptance, attention on whatever that trigger was, that first arrow. And then as it turns out, on only a, a very small percentage of the time, is that thing worthy of us staying up and noodling on or grappling with? That's a perfect dovetailing with my second step, which is a certain amused, bemused, wry, call it what you will, skepticism. And the skepticism is to the urgency of this voice or issue or problem. And it's not sophisticated skepticism either. I just have a blanket rule that I have found through trial and error that I offer to the world as something potentially to borrow and see if it works for you, which is I don't believe anything I think between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing I have been told by a thought, a concern that is a worry, a problem that we've got to work on between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. that has ever been of value to act on, at least in that period. Hmm. I, It's got the level of sophistication of a mean and herky-jerky six, seven-year-old are the thoughts and suggestions and prompts and worries and concerns and plans and outrages that my thoughts are registering in that time band. And I don't want to get in an argument with it. I'm happy to hear it, as Jack Cornfield is saying, <laughs> but I know that this is the boy who cried wolf. 
it just doesn't feel that way at 6 a.m., at 8 a.m., at 10 a.m. All these giant dread issues aren't there. And maybe one in a hundred, there is something there, but it's just not worth it. It'll ruin your life if you listen to this kid all the time. <laughs> and I just have that as a simple thing. I don't believe anything I think between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. And I say this to myself. I say it to other people. And I get up. And again, it's just this default. Up, what are you going to do? And it's like stop, drop, and roll. So <laughs> accept, I'm up. Okay. Just be okay. Don't put in the second arrow. <laughs> yeah. And then this guy's got to talk, but I don't have to follow it. I know I don't have anything smart to say in that time band. So that's my number two. I think it goes along with Jack Cornfield. Anything you'd add to that? Or are you worried that we, we might miss some important information if we take that too close to heart? I think just through a scientific lens, I would just add the one caveat of N equals one and that some people are night owls. Sometimes at night, that's when people are activated and when potent and creative thinking and wisdom curses through their bodies and minds. So maybe for those types of people, they would flip that script around and say, I don't trust anything between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m. But I mean, so if, if you are... If you are winding down, then I would wholeheartedly go along with that model. If, if night is when you're creative and when you're winding up, then I would encourage people to slot that same type of concept in during the drowsy periods when they are winding down. Two things to that. I love that because it's important. One, the muse is not to be confused with someone calling 911. The muse does not call 911. If your muse is talking, you get an idea in the night. Sure, that's not what I meant by don't believe anything you think. I just meant don't believe any 911 calls from your thoughts. You know, mm -hmm. This is an urgent, this is a problem. This is something you've got to work on and act on. If it's inspiring, if it's interesting, sure, feel free. I don't think we wake up and we're like, I've got these great ideas, but I've got to get back to sleep. I think we're excited about that. We're happy about that, which speaks to something we'll get to later, which is how much sleep exactly do we need or what kind, or just how bad the second arrow is. It's not being awake. That's the problem. It's the, the suffering. The, that's the other distinction. Sometimes there's the saying, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And pain is that first arrow. Suffering is that, that second arrow, not wanting to be in whatever situation you're in, in that first second arrow framework. So yes, mm -hmm. I love that. Let us not confuse the muse with calling 911, but if you're getting this urgent distress call, that's not the muse. <laughs> it's just not the right. muse, no matter if you're a night owl. And to the time of day, yes, I, I think I, I've made this joke that I actually have a two-step process. Step one is I'm not going to believe anything I think between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. And then step two is going to be, I'm not going to believe anything I think between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll have the day covered. <laughs> and relax and enjoy. So going on to my, my step three, which is for me, I think touching on something that you've talked about, 
already here with meditation, but this is when you were talking about it was hearing what the thought has to say until you get bored with it. For me, it's mindfulness. And that's almost the opposite of listening to the thought. It's not ignoring the thought or being bored with it. It's redirecting my attention. Mm. And so when I say mindfulness, I mean focusing on something else. And for me, that could be breathing and paying attention to how I'm breathing. It can be fast. It can be slow. I'm not worried about that. I'm not judging it. I'm not trying to control it. I'm not actually doing breathing exercises other than the exercise of just, can I be aware of the sensation of taking in air through my nose, going to my chest, expanding my stomach, and then coming back out again and try to use this as a moment to be aware of that. Another thing I can be aware of is just do a basic body scan and say, let me feel what each part of my body is feeling. Again, not as a thing because it's doing something wrong, not as a judgment, not as something to counter that I'm awake or get me to sleep, but just to be present. And so can I see what part of the sheets does my toe feel? Can I identify my heel, my ankle, go up my calf, my thigh, my hips, the vertebrae, and just one by one check in with these different pieces and parts of me. And the analog I use here is something I call the ball trick. Have we talked about the ball trick before? I don't think so. So it refers to that street game where you've got three cups and a ball. Mm-hmm. And the guys are saying, hey, you want to bet on which cup the ball is under? And they're shuffling the cups fast mm-hmm. and the ball is shooting back and forth. But it seems pretty clear which one it's in. And you're supposed to bet. And they lift the cup. And gosh, it's just not in that one <laughs> that you bet on. Or it is mm. the first three times and then they make it interesting. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend that and, lost 100 bucks in New York City playing that game. Yeah, and it was worth it. He's got he got 105 bucks of story out of it, I'm sure. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> yeah. So the ball trick is to say your mind's not that complex. Multitasking is a lie. It can't actually do more than one or two things at once. Storytellers like me use this in plotting. If we have one thing going on in a story, you the reader will get ahead of us. You will guess the ending. If we have two things going on, it's going to be neck and neck. We're going to switch off between them and you and I will be completely even. I'll get a little bit ahead. You'll get a little bit ahead. We'll go back and forth until the ending and we'll get there at the same time. If I have three things going on, you're done. You're toast. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never have any idea that it was the uncle who was the secret Mm. agent or the kid was already dead the whole time. So... The ball trick is just, can you add another thing or two for your mind to follow? Can it be breathing and checking in with the body and worrying? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's going to suck at worrying. It can't keep up. That is a huge cognitive load, especially because it's tired. It's confused. It's in the dark. It hasn't had its coffee for two or three hours, maybe if you're talking one of the blame or 
12, 14 hours if that's not one of the reasons you're actually up. <laughs> and so it's just a simple like, ah, I'm in this system and the system is upset, but I could do the ball trick and it's not going to be able to keep up. So let me check in with my breath. Let me do a body scan and it's just going to get worn out following those because they're just as dumb in a good way as these thoughts that I'm thinking that, again, between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m., these 911 calls, they're just going, going to diminish. It's like a radio that you can start tuning out. The volume's going to go down. Does yeah. that resonate for you? And is there some science that makes that make sense or that leads you to question it? Mm, oh, it definitely resonates. And was I ex were we talking about perception and what type of perception we typically have when we're in a non-stressed state? I don't think so. So if you put your hands in front of you as if you're holding like an air accordion and you start to splay both of your hands out in, in, the, in the direction that each hand is going and you're watching with your peripheral vision each hand, your left eye is watching your left hand, your right eye is watching your right hand. Basically, usually, we can get to about 180 degrees. I'm doing it now and you're right. Yeah, right? I can see the tips of my fingers. When we get into stress, and, and in this state that you're talking about, insomnia, the second arrow, all of that, our perception shrinks to 30 degrees. Wow. So now you're living inside of this tunnel. And what I think is the most effective thing about what you just said isn't necessarily the wisdom of the, the, the action steps. It's the awareness and it's the front loading. So if what we need to do is we need to create the systems in which you've done so brilliantly, these are systems that you have created for yourself. I don't believe any thought after 8 p.m. till 6 a.m. Right. So if it's 930 at night and that that stress kicks in and your perception goes down to 30 degrees within that 30 degrees lives that that system of yours. It's front of mind. Yeah. But to try to conjure it up without either doing the reps or writing it in Sharpie for yourself beforehand is impossible. So. You're absolutely right about everything you just said in terms of the science, the, our selective attention. We, we can only grab, as you said, if the third person starts talking to me, I can't hear any, any of the three people. There's a great study where there's these uh, several people who are dressed in white and then another group dressed in black and they're, and the, the prompt is follow how many times they pass the basketball around. And so the whole idea is you're just one, two, three, oh, and there's these guys are moving around the space. And within the middle of this two minute experiment, a guy walks through in the middle of it with a gorilla suit on and, start, <laughs> and starts like pounding his chest and walks away. This and was so my internship, totally. <laughs> 2005 Tulane. Yeah. I feel I recognize that gate. Yeah. yeah. But then after the fact, they say, how many passes? And everyone's spending all their time thinking, oh, yeah, it was 20. It was 18. And then the follow-up, obviously, is, well, did you, who saw the gorilla? And most people didn't see the gorilla. So I love this as a, a way to trick our own system. We can't 
focus on all that worry if we're focusing on the breathing and if we're focusing on a body scan it doesn't even matter how how good as you said it's not like you need to do a specific breath practice it's just that there's just no way to attend to all of that so that's that's a real brilliant practice but like i said it none of it will work unless it's stamped in and front loaded beforehand and what's great about that second arrow stuff is obviously you can do that any time during the day. You can try that practice with anything that you're having an issue, but you're stuck in traffic or you get the wrong change at a supermarket or you send a message that you wish you hadn't sent or you get a message you wish you hadn't gotten. And again, this is the brilliance of radical acceptance, acceptance period, second arrow is while you're in that situation, that happened. So can you be okay with being in that situation and then navigate whatever proceeds rather than immediately putting this 10 times magnifier on it? And I love that the gorilla is also actually part of another ball trick. Can you make your worries, your anxieties, the things keeping you up, the gorilla by bouncing this ball back and forth between mm. the white clad people and the black clad people? Can you pay close enough attention to your breath? The problem with counting sheep or counting backwards is it's not quite hard enough doesn't require enough of your attention, mm -hmm. but practices like focusing on your breath, which again, do in the supermarket, do when you're stuck in traffic, do in any of these other situations. Just can you take a super mindful breath? Can you do a body scan and check in with five, six, seven parts of your body or go head to toe? In any of these situations, that'll prime you for the night or write on an index card by the bedside some of these things and have them to try potentially. You're absolutely right. Believing in it is step one, but practicing it is step two. And they can actually go in the opposite. You could, you could practice it and then see if you believe it or not. So a program that I'm running right now where one of the themes is self-compassion. So I've done a lot of research on self-compassion. You mentioned in what we've just been talking about, this thread is around mindfulness. And as it turns out, the, there's three legs to the stool of accepting and embodying self-compassion. And I frame it as going from critic to coach. And so mindfulness is number one. And number two is common humanity. And number three is kindness. So what I do when I wake up on top of some of these other, and I'll talk a little bit more about the scientific suggestions, but I, when I'm laying there, I go to common humanity and I say to myself, wow, there's somebody else out there in the world who's also wide awake with insomnia right now. And I start to just scroll the planet and realize how this condition that's occurring to me right now is also occurring to someone else in the world, many people in the world, millions of people in the world. And when I do that, and it's like the ball game to some degree, because I've now given my brain some other direction, something else to, some other rabbit hole to go down. But this rabbit hole makes me feel warm again. It makes me feel connected. And so I'm not spending a lot of time with the camera turned back around on myself, which many of your examples, albeit good examples, are still all about me and what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, how I'm processing what I'm accepting, what I'm not accepting. And this one is when this one is a way to go out and say, wow, if this is happening to me, part of com you know, common humanity, common sense is 
it's happening to millions of other people out there as well. And just by doing that, it deactivates that, that obsessive, that the, the worry and the fear centers and makes me feel calmer, makes me feel not so alone, makes me feel like it's not my affliction and that I'm not wrong. It's not something I'm going to beat myself up about. Why is this happening to me? I'm not the victim. So that's one of the ones that I've front loaded. I love that. It simultaneously makes me feel more self-compassionate because I am just one of many human beings and also compassionate for the world at large. I have a related, maybe even simpler practice, which is the same exact thing, but with breathing. I am exhaling and someone else is exhaling or inhaling. I'm inhaling and someone else is inhaling or exhaling. And I shouldn't just say someone else, everyone else. That's the thing. You can literally do it with everyone. I am breathing in and the president of the United States is breathing in. I am breathing out and my wife is breathing out. And sometimes I think about every single person. We're all doing this. If we stop, it ain't going to go on much longer. <laughs> we all got to do the breathing in. We all got to do the breathing out. And sometimes I just do that as my little practice is I breathe out and imagine someone else breathing in. I breathe in and imagine them doing the opposite breath. And it's like we're in this cycle or I add a third person to that. I'm breathing in. My wife's breathing out. The president's breathing in. Person number four is breathing out. It's a slightly more sophisticated version of counting sheep. But the other thing is it's, it's actually happening. It's real. This mm. is not just, yeah, probably someone else is awake, which is wonderful and true and absolutely true. And we know <laughs> based on the podcast charts and your practice and hearing from friends, it is quite common. But even more common is, of course, inhaling and exhaling. Mm, I like that. And I'll just, I'll add another a layer to that. I am exhaling and a tree is inhaling. My CO2 is being consumed by the maple tree outside. And just another way to connect us to what's alive around us. I think in, in general, the overall concept here is to, is to create more space. And again, if we come back to that peripheral you know, imagery and 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 by the way another potent way to stack some of these practices is to literally use your hands so let's just say you're laying in bed and you're and you say i'm going to expand i'm going to explore i'm going to open up and while you're saying those things you're allowing your hands to go back to that 180 degrees now we're using proprioception how we move through space, interoception, what's what we feel like inside, and a cue. And those can be powerful ways back to the ball game to give ourselves enough busy activities that are all synced with the synergy to allow us to get back into a calm place. Do you have a few more on your own list? I got one more. Yeah, let's hear it. So to recap, acceptance. I'm awake. That's okay. Skepticism. I don't believe anything I think between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. I'm not, I'm not taking 911 calls. 
mindfulness, the ball trick, any other slight attention heavy activity. And then for me, number four is acceptance again. <laughs> hmm. It's just, I am awake and rest is still restful and I am alive and I am breathing and tomorrow will come and it'll just be okay. I don't need as much sleep as this 911 call of my thoughts is telling me. It's not all going to be a big disaster, one thing after another, probably. It's just, it's just okay. Like, and I'm not there. I'm here. So just be here in this situation, and that's okay. It's actually not even unpleasant. It's fine, unless I make it unpleasant by adding that second arrow to it. I talked we talked about when the muse comes, it can be quite pleasant to be awake. <laughs> you can listen to sound. You, you get this rush of ideas and excitement. Great. I got them down. If you're like me, they're not so hot in the morning if you can even read your own handwriting, but at least <laughs> it was fun to be excited and happy and get a good idea or two, perhaps. And if not, it's just a chance to be. No one's calling you. <laughs> There's nothing you got to cook. There's nothing nowhere you got to drive. It's just a chance to be for a bit. And that's my closing, not just being okay with it, but leaning into it a little bit. And I find that four-step process, any mix of those things, acceptance, a certain skepticism, mindfulness, and a larger acceptance, if you will, a more reflective, relaxed acceptance, that's about what I need to, A, probably not wake up as much, B, get to sleep faster if I am up, and C, be okay with whatever happens. If I go back to sleep or not, and it'll still be okay. So that's, that's it for me. Hmm. I'd love to hear how that last bit takes you and then anywhere you take yourself or your clients. I, I love all of those. And I think obviously the most important thing I think is that it works for you. And so I would, I guess the first thing that I always do when I am trying to counsel or advise a client of mine is, is set very low expectations that we're, we're just going to run some experiments and I'm going to give you some some experiments to run you practice them see how how it feels what what seems to resonate and and how 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 effective or not effective something is and so it takes some of that pressure away uh, a few other suggestions around this and again this is this bears out in in there's a lot of sleep research these days one that seems fairly counterintuitive is that if you're awake in the night, and this is more so if this is something that, that occurs, it, there's, there's a trend line that this is happening. One of the best things you can do is get out of bed. Hmm. Why? Well, a 
couple of reasons. One is you don't want to start to create this con- pattern or condition that bed is where you experience this feeling. Bed is supposed to be where you are, you, you let go. And so if you're finding that you're, this insomnia is kicking in and, it, and it's incessant, the last thing you want to do is, is wire the patterning and that when I get into bed, I, I get insomnia, I wake up. So get out of bed, go find, have a, an actual three-dimensional book, not a screen, but a book, and go into a room that's comfortable for you and, and do a little reading. And that can be a good way to reset. And after you do a little reading, repeat your bedtime routines. So even if it's 1.30 in the morning, go back in, brush your teeth, wash your face, do the normal things that you would have done before you went to bed in the first place. And you're resetting your brain and you're prepping it and preparing it for something that typically is when it knows to just let go. So that can be a potent combination. Don't just lay there and ruminate unless you're capable of going through the process that you just talked about. So that, that's a, I think it's counterintuitive to think about getting up, but it can be a powerful reset. And another one you touched on, you said it in a way that was, that was creative and that was idea generator, but have a small journal. I call mine the brain dump hmm. and, and it's just next to my bed. It's not a productive journal, but if I wake up and my mind, it wants to race, I'll just write those things down. And again, a physical three-dimension is probably better in this case than turning on a phone. Absolutely. You do not want to be on any screen. That is, that's just this, the cue within your brain to, to wake up. So in terms of sleep hygiene, I recommend people put their phones to bed. That, that ha- especially who have issues, who are either addicted to their screens at night and they can't get off of them or are having trouble shutting it down, uh, ideally an hour before bed, have a little, some symbolic little box, put your bed and put your phone in there, put a little sheet over the top of it. Memory and, foam. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and that's a powerful way to elicit that sense that, oh, it's time to wind down. The best that you can going to bed with as light turns and waking up when light comes back up is is helpful. Having your room be dark and rel- relatively cold is also helpful. So those are a few things that, that I would add in, in, in addition to, and and also there's I guess the last two are more tech related, but I have an app on my phone and it's called Sleep Space. And it generates like like a a beat that is in sync with more of an REM and a deep sleep wavelength. And if I'm struggling to sleep or I'll go through phases where I like that. And right now I'm in that one of those phases. So I can set that for eight and a half hours of sleep, for example, and it'll ride this little wave throughout the night. And there you have it. It's a pretty cool thing if you're into that thing. 
And then I'll also, if I'm struggling, will turn to sleep hypnosis. And there's a great sleep hypnotist named Michael Seeley, who I like, and he's just got a YouTube channel. And that, he's an Australian guy with these like, this calm, soothing voice. And it's just a nice wind down to prepare me to let go, especially if I've had an overactive mind in, in that recent you know, past. So those are a couple of other tools. Obviously, we'll, we'll put all of these in the show notes, but find what works for you, switch it up if you need to, and front load some of these ideas so that you don't have to think of them in real time, that they're already either in your brain or you've written down your little, your, you have a little sleep pad where you can consult. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to get up and read. That's a much better idea than trying to have to manufacture this stuff and improvise it in real time. To me, the big practice, and I've used some of those techniques you've mentioned too, including sleep hypnosis, which is itself a good way to wire in the practice. I did it a few times at listening to relax to sleep type exercises and that itself was practiced to then be able to do that on my own a lot more easily. But to me, the big concept is being as nice to myself in that situation as possible because I'm up and can I be okay with myself? Let's say I did screen it up right before and ate a cheese, a room service cheeseburger <laughs> and was sending a series of last minute texts. Okay, well, can I still just be as nice to myself as possible? It doesn't matter how I got into this. The only way out is going to be going in a positive gentle, wryly amused at times, but accepting mindset and practice, I think. And so I see in myself and in others sometimes when I have these negative situations where I have all this self-judgment, I actually try to defer them by doing a lot of these practices like eating or watching shows or mindlessly texting, even though those get me into the situation more in the first place. And I think the only way to break that cycle is to say, whatever situation I'm in, when I'm up, I'm going to be as nice to myself as possible in that situation. And I'm going to try these things and try to just you know get on my own side. I think that's very wise. And the third leg of that stool of self-compassion is kindness. And I think that you're right, that that's, that has to be the headline. And when we, which is such a crazy thing, how difficult that, that concept typically lands for us. Oh my God, why did I eat the cheeseburger? Why was I sending texts? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Or this can't be happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this why can't, me? This just isn't acceptable. This can't be happening. It's like, well. I just don't know how far that's going to take you in life. It's going to keep you up and it's going to be pretty agitating because whatever's happening is happening. So there's a, a logical error at the very beginning of this can't be happening. So as much as possible, let that go and 
hear that voice, but that voice isn't serving you. Indeed. Put us to sleep. (laughs) What is a way to take action on some of these if someone wants to try this tonight? If they want to try it in the weeks ahead, if they're talking to a friend or a partner or a family member, what is a good way to tiptoe into not waking up as much or not making it as dramatic when we do wake up? I think a way that appeals to logic within someone is to simply get a piece of paper out and write down a line down the middle of it and have the top line prompt be, is this helpful or is this harmful? And start to insert in each one of those columns the different actions, thoughts, behaviors that we've discussed here today and that maybe have been your patterns or or challenges and see where they land on the page. And if you start to notice that many of the things that you typically do are landing more on the harmful side of the ledger, simply with kindness, see if you can select one of the one or two of the things from the side that you've deemed helpful and just give it a try simple as that great my recap again acceptance don't put in that second arrow skepticism i don't believe anything i think between 8 p.m and 6 a.m your mileage may vary mindfulness by that i mean the ball trick tracking your breathing doing a body scan doing some of the connective space expanding exercises damon mentioned thinking about other people being awake or most other people breathing in and out and acceptance again. Here I am. Okay. Here I am. Here we are at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Any last words yourself, Damon? Sweet dreams, everybody. That's all I got for you. Good night. Sleep tight. Wake up bright. Or as my daughter said when she was three to my wife, I hope you wake up, mom. (laughs) 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 So... If we're waking up, let's just be grateful for that, even if it's at 2 a.m., and we'll continue the conversation from there. Sound good, Damon? That sounds fabulous. If we've missed any tips of your own, listeners, please share them. If there's any other topics you want us to cover, we look forward to that. Share those, too. Thanks so much, and as he said, sweet dreams. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy N. Smith and produced by Matt Mullins at Black Rooster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts and best ways of being human and being alive.